0: So I am on site at Pigeon Forge with Emily. Uh, We've done a little bit of a walkthrough of all the Christmas decorations, which are beautiful. And if you follow the pod on Instagram, you can see some of them and also see them by going to the website and to the museums, Insta and Facebook and that sort of thing, of course. Uh, But would you give us a little bit of a sense of what the inspiration for the decor this year is, how it ties in thematically to everything here for the year and just kind of walk everyone through it?
1: Yeah, sure. So this year we have all new decorations throughout the entire museums, the one in Branson as well. Um, and because this is the year of the Titanic children, we um, we have our red bears, which symbolize the children on board, and their red, which symbolizes love. And that love is between a parent and child. Um, it's just an iconic image. Um, we really want to, to focus that the 135 children, we, we remember them and we say their names, So those bears that we have all throughout the museum, they have tags with each passenger's name on them. So you can go around and pick one, and it will have a child that was on Titanic, its tag on its ear. So it's just another way we try to honor those 135 kids.
0: And you have um, some really amazing artifacts here pertaining to children. And those are going to stay for a while, you said. So it's the year of the child is going to extend into 2024. And the Christmas decorations will be up a little bit into January. Okay, wonderful. So what, you know, the obviously the mission for the museum that you guys have had this year is to honor these children. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about them earlier in the year, actually, it was last season, which is hard to believe. Like, I, I, it's so funny. I, the only reason I do seasons on the show is because I can't do it in the summer when my kids are home. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of an artificial way. Um, but because it's been like two and a half years since I started the podcast, but multiple seasons, I can never remember when anything <laughs> is. And as we all know with Titanic, there's so much that oh. my brain is broken. Um, but we have talked about a few children and today we thought, in terms of a kind of a holiday theme, there are some somber parts of this. It's certainly not a holiday theme in all joy, but in honoring the children on Titanic, we wanted to talk about one who we have a lot of sources about. We know a lot of information about. His story is tragic, but also because of how his memory lives on, very uplifting as well. Um, And it has a little bit of a holiday theme-ish tie-in with a book some of you might have heard about. So today we want to talk about Douglas Spedden. And before I hand the mic over, I want to say, for years, all I knew about him is that he's the spinning top boy in the photograph mm-hmm. from Father Brown. So, you know, many of you know this. Father Brown got off at Cove, but he took basically the main photos that we have Absolutely. of Titanic. And because he got off at Cove after traveling in first class, we have these photos. Uh, the museum here has an amazing exhibit That showcases a lot of his photos and has a camera that's the same era and model that he would have used, Mm -hmm. um, which is incredible. So one of those photos is of Douglas Spedden spinning a top on the deck Mm -hmm. and James Cameron recreates it like beautifully in the 97 movie. And so for years, this is all I really knew about him, but his story is very deep and nuanced. So yeah, tell us a little bit about Douglas Spedden and kind of how, where he fits into
1: Titanic's history. Absolutely. So <clears throat> Douglas was traveling with his mother and father. They were on a European holiday trip. Um, they It was uh, Douglas and his father, Frederick, and his mother, Daisy, and his nanny, Muddy Boons. Her name was Elizabeth Burns, but he could not pronounce that, so he called her Muddy Boons. And also, um, Daisy's maid was... Helen was with them as well. Um, so, as, as we were talking about, there is a photo of him playing with the top on the deck. And I think in the recreation of the movie, um, James Cameron used a pretty prominent Titanic figure to play his father. Oh, yeah, Don Lynch is
0: in that Don scene. Don Lynch yeah. is in that scene. Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, that's just a little tidbit. That's about a really, that. and
0: the coat that Jack gets. Um, is yes. from the coat in the like the photo comes to life because mm-hmm. he grabs the coat that's on the chair. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that that was a kind of cool tie-in. I thought we could talk about. But um, so anyway, the night of the sinking, I know um, Muddy Boone said that they were going to go up and look at the stars, and that fortunately they all make it on a lifeboat together. Um, where the the bear comes into play is everyone knows his favorite toy was the was the polar bear, the stuffed stuffed polar bear um, named Polar. <laughs> and uh, he kept that with him. He had it with him in the lifeboat. Um, he, he did fall asleep while they were waiting to be rescued. And I think there's a quote somewhere where he says, um, he wakes up and looks at his nanny and says, oh, look, it's the North Pole, but no Santa Claus. Um, so they are rescued. They're pulled up onto the Carpathia, and Douglas realizes that his bear is missing. He's lost polar. He's devastated. Obviously, there are a lot of people devastated. But as the crew were emptying out the lifeboats, um, Polar rolls out, and one of the crew members recognized it, you know, from that little boy, and it's returned to Polar, and that's the premise of the book that was written for Douglas.
0: And the um, so the so the book is more in the cultural consciousness than i ever realized and i'll i'll give a shout out to my friend hank back in austin texas who's a very dear friend of mine and i know he listens to the podcast he grew up with a he had a um uh, oh my gosh, why is my brain not working? A piggy bank um, that was shaped like Titanic, the ones I think a lot oh, okay. of people in the 80s and 90s had these that were passed through families, but they were the slanted ones where you put the coin in. And, um, but he had this book, Polar the Titanic Bear, and he's a little bit younger than me. And I, I was shocked that that was such a memory from his childhood because I didn't understand that it had infiltrated Mm -hmm. the cultural consciousness as much as it has. But I think a lot of libraries had it Mm -hmm. in the 1980s and 1990s as part of a just sort of titanic section at the local library. Um, So yeah, so his mom writes this book and finishes it, I believe, in 1913, we saw. Mm -hmm. And her goal, right, was to help him process what had happened. And he was born in 1905. So he was... Six going on seven yeah. when Titanic happened, uh, which is just chilling and heartbreaking. I have a daughter who's seven. You know, it's just yeah. it's it, it always whenever I come across the the story of a child with a similar age to whatever my kids are at the moment, it's heartbreaking. Um, so she writes this to help him process his own grief, trauma, um, and what comes of it is this book that we still now can buy and see. But what happens after the book is the truly tragic part. And we live with the book, which means that Douglas's memory lives with us forever, which is a beautiful thing. But if you would tell listeners kind of what happened uh, in 1915, that is so heartbreaking.
1: So um, it is really hard because, you know, when you do have kids, you think, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, Uh, he was um, chasing, I believe, a tennis ball through some bushes and ran out in the road and was tragically struck by an ambulance. I believe, I believe so. yeah. um, there are conflicting reports. I've, I've seen several reports say that it was, it, we, he was gone instantly and then some say he suffered from a concussion and, and uh, overnight eventually over that overcame him. Um, but we do know he did pass away and it was due to that automobile accident. Um, If you read online, you can see lots of um, theories, and I know I have heard for many years at the museum. I've been here 13 years, and I've I've heard people come in and say, "Oh yeah, he was he was buried with that the polar bear." You know that was meant a lot to him. So his mom, there is no evidence that that is true, but there is evidence of her saying she left his room. Untouched, which to me, as a mom, I would think she would leave the bear where he left it in mm-hmm. his room with his other teddy bears. That might be wishful thinking, speaking, but as a mom, I could say that's that's what I would I would mm-hmm. do. So, you know, it it is really really sad, but we do we do remember him and we do try and tell his story. And while he may not be a victim of Titanic, he was most definitely um, a survivor, and we do our best to carry his name on. Mm-hmm.
0: It's um it's so important to talk about um, obviously his life after Titanic was tragically short but it you know works in with the theme I I talk about a lot on here which is it's equally important to talk about people's lives after Titanic mm-hmm. because so much of it is about processing the trauma of what happened um or for many working class people it was about just immediately going right back into oh, yeah. survival and 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 building their lives and in this case obviously this family was first class and very comfortable financially but that doesn't mean they didn't have trauma you know the in the years after um, the ship sank the family likely suffered you know some form of PTSD just as they all did on some level and to then have this level of a tragedy happen. Uh, is pretty mind blowing, and and I'll um, I'll share something we were talking about before we recorded. I'll have to I'll put it in the show notes if I can mm-hmm. find um, anything that confirms it. But there are reports that Ellen Bird, who was Ida Strauss's maid, who was uh, new to the Strauss family, she had just been hired uh, when she boarded with them. Um, she actually, according to some research I did, ended up working for the Spedden family after mm-hmm. Titanic. And I think about, from her perspective, um, I mean, talk about the, I mean, the the surviving that tragedy, but your two employers pass away. And then if that is true, I imagine they, you know, met on the Carpathia or networked in some way during the survival process. And that's how that, excuse me, came into being. So I'll have to look into that more. That's quite a connection, um, if that's true. And... Um, and inter- oh, go ahead.
1: What a better way to, to work with people that knew what you went through. You know, mm-hmm. you think, I'm sure that uh, might have been the thought uh, process. Yeah. You, yeah. You, they understand what you're going through and you understand what they're going through. So honestly, you would want to cling to those people mm-hmm. that knew what, what kind of trauma you had lived mm-hmm. through.
0: Yeah, it was, it's a very specific trauma. And, you know, you hear stories count, you know, just countless ones among Titanic survivors that they kept in touch or they. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Yay, I'm going to keep this in. I forgot about this. We are, after all, in a ship. It's noon. Is that the sounding for noon? Okay, how often does the horn go off? Once a day. Oh, just once a day at noon. Okay. It's right out here. I forgot about it. That's amazing. Now, I'm totally keeping this in. That's amazing. We are on a ship. Um, And uh, now I've lost my train of thought. Uh, surviving trauma. Yeah, no, you hear countless stories of people, whether staying in touch through letters or they built connections and then, and stayed in touch with other families that had been through this. Because when you go through a very, historically, there's a huge precedent for this, like, um, people like widows marrying people that were related to the or had saved them or their family or I I mean, it's, it's, I think it makes sense as a human. If you go through a very specific thing, you want to be around other people that have been through that very specific thing. And that may be one of your only comforts Mm -hmm. when things are really hard. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, you know, and, and the, the book itself, it's funny, like, you know, it can sort of just, I mean, it serves as a, it's a, it's a children's book. And like I said, we all grew up with it in our library and that sort of thing. But once you know the story, it takes on all this additional weight. Uh, we were here in the gift shop a couple of years ago when we first came here. And my son, I think, was – he must have been six or seven. But he was gravitating towards the polar bear stuffy that you guys have. But I had just recently sort of been studying this story and some some reading I'd been doing. So I, I turned to my husband, John. Know if I want to buy that because it's so you know it's such a heartbreaking connection. And my son at that young age, he of course didn't know that story. So um, so it is it is heartbreaking, but it's important, and and his memory lives on in this very unique way. Um, yes. And so you know for for Douglas Spedden, Titanic was, I imagine, um, even in the the time he lived after it happened, I'm sure I'm sure they talked about it a lot and had to process so much, and so. Yeah, it's, it's a really hard story. It's, it's a really hard and heavy story to tell. But thank you for chatting with oh, us about it. Um, what is, is there anything that, that you can review? Are there any, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of listeners who, um, you know, follow me on Instagram also follow you. They're, the Venn diagram is very close. So people are curious. So what what events do you guys have coming up? Is there anything you'd like to mention or anything heading into the new year that people should know?
1: Um, our next big event in Pigeon Forge will be the Valentine's dinner. Oh yeah, very fun. Um, Branson is doing a New Year's Eve flashlight tour. Oh,
0: that would be, so s- be That nice. would be amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah. We're gonna, it's
1: a flashlight tour, so you get a guide and you get a flashlight, and um, everything. It, it's a going through the museum in, in the dark without the lights and the show and the music. It's a it's a different kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost you know, the only, there's no distractions. It's you and it's the artifacts and it's the stories. And for me, it's a very special experience. I, I highly recommend if you can do a flashlight tour, I think you should. Um, but yeah, those are the two big ones coming up. Uh, we will close for our yearly renovations and, and cleaning. And, oh, when is that? Um, we close, it'll be the first two weeks in Branson. So it'll be January like 8th through the 19th. Okay. And then in Pigeon Forge, it's that second week. So like the 12th through the 18th.
0: Okay. So that's good for people to know. Yeah. Um, And I can put all that in the show notes as well. But um, there's, I will say, um, you know, I have been through this museum many times, but the artifacts that you guys have right now, it's quite a collection. I mean, there's a stunning collection and um, they're always wonderful. But the grouping that you've got right now, especially everything pertaining pertaining to the the children, um, you know, we talked about Alden Caldwell uh, when you were here on an episode a few months ago, and his shoes are here right now. Are those here for a while? Or th- They're here for
1: a while. Okay. Um, and in Branson, we have the the Louise Kink shoes. Oh, that's right. That's right. We have okay. our shoes there, which we were we we were very fortunate. Both artifacts, the descendant that that um, gave them to us for display, they they did come for the unveiling. So we were very very honored to have. Yeah, I think I saw I saw that on Instagram. Those, yeah, both yeah. of those descendants come out and see their artifact on display, which was. I, we always love when we get a chance to um, have descendants in, and it, it is a, it is a pretty regular occurrence for us. We get our descendants in a lot, um, and it's always a pleasure because we feel like they're family. Like we feel like we know their pa- the passenger stories. We know we try to know as much as we can about them. So when we hear that a descendant is coming, it feels like another extended member of our family is visiting. So we're all like, "Oh my gosh, can you believe Julie Williams is going to be here? I can't wait to see her." Um, same with Molly Browns Helen mm-hmm. Bensinger she's yeah. a dear friend of the museum so we you know we all call her Aunt Helen and we all like can't get so excited when she's going to come to town so it's it it really is like a big giant family and and we want those people to know that we we want to honor their relative we want to to do what we can to to keep their memory going so yeah it's pretty special
0: and i imagine there's um you know I imagine every day there's the potential for some, you know, as people do genealogy, as, you know, as stories are passed down through families, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are just now discovering they are a descendant. Yes. And so there's the potential for generations more to come of people to come and think that's great grandmother or great, great, you know, it's, it is kind of a beautiful thing. And, and over the past 10 to 20 years, this genealogy has become popular for just Kind of the common person. I imagine that's going to happen more and more.
1: It happens so frequently that we actually have a form for guests to fill out when they are a relative of a descendant. I um, mean, it's like an information collection form so that we can be in touch with them and add them to our, our database of, of um, descendants because we do like to let them know, you know, if a special artifact becomes available, we want to say, hey, you know, you're so and so's great granddaughter mm-hmm. and we're going to have the artifact. We'd love to have you out to see it um, that sort of thing. Like, and we get quite a few, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a pretty common thing. We have someone on staff that is our researcher and that is what she does all day long. Mm -hmm. She researches passengers, the facts and uh, reaches out to people. And then we have Paul, our curator, and he helps with that as well. So, you know, we we take it pretty serious and it, and it is a, it's a lot. It's, you Mm -hmm. know, you think it's been all these years, but there's, we learn new things every day.
0: No, and I, I've always thought, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I've always thought, and I think I've said it on the podcast before, I believe that the history of Titanic is in people's attics, and I I think there are probably even more artifacts and even more diaries and even more stories, and a lot of it is oral history that's passed down in families, mm-hmm. And I I, yeah, I wish more, you know, it's like yeah. we can't ever stop the search because no. someone, who knows, someone could have a box of something somewhere yeah. that would shed light on things. One
1: of my favorite artifacts we have is a little square of carpet, of green carpet. And it's just a tiny little thing. You're like, what is that? Well, one of the builders, you know, they had never seen carpet before in 1912. They were mm-hmm. like, oh, what a luxury carpet. And he, he took it home. And they noticed their kitchen table was wobbly, so he shoved it under the kitchen table. And then years go by, what is this little piece of carpet? Well, it came from Titanic. It's one of my favorite stories because it's like, so something my dad would have done. Oh, yeah, mine too. Yeah, (laughs) My dad would be like, oh, well, here's this. Let's just... Fix it really quick, and then you know, years later, you've got a piece of Titanic holding up your kitchen table. What? Mm-hmm. No, and I'm sure there, I am sure there are pieces, not
0: necessarily of the ship itself, but pe- pieces oh, of yeah. the lives of some of prominent or not prominent passengers okay. that are just sitting in attics and that sort of thing. I do have to ask you on this subject. Um, I noticed you guys posted it on Instagram the other day. What's the story behind the woman that looks exactly like one of the passengers? <laughs> What's and and has a past life regression been done? <laughs>
1: Uh, we, you know, we
0: <laughs> and don't, obviously we won't have to say her name no, or anything, she's but
1: actually tagged on the post. Oh, okay. okay. She uh, commented, we didn't have her handle or anything. Um, when we posted that, but, uh, it's
0: Oh okay. no, there we go again. Um, let me yeah. Let me look that up. I think it's the I nanny it for Annie the allison Let's see, Cleaver Titanic, and it should. So come she's right all
1: up. over. Alice wall. Cleaver. Yeah. yeah.
0: Alice, not Annie. Yeah.
1: Alice Cleaver. Yeah, she. That was actually from our Branson location, and the resemblance was so stunning that we immediately asked her if we could take a photo, and of course she was very very nice and said absolutely. And so we've had that photo for a while. This that's not a new. But she came back and visited discovery. again. Yes. And, um, she actually saw the post on Instagram and said, Oh, that's me. (laughs) So, um, she is tagged on her, on our page. So go ahead and check her out and give her some love. But, um, yeah, it, it is, it's always kind of shocking. That's one instance. This happens a lot. We have, um, little boys, we have little girls that, that come in and look identical to the photos on the children's wall. And you're kind of like, Whoa, okay. Um, and I know uh, I've seen several posts where people are like, oh, well, they're related. Of course they look alike. I don't think so. I don't think that they were any relation. It was just a, a, um,
0: total coincidence. total
1: coincidence.
0: Well, what's creepy about the, what's creepy about the Alice Cleaver situation though, is mm-hmm. that story is so it's wrought. Very, yeah. Um, it's one of the really creepy stories yeah. of Titanic and I I'll do an episode on, on the Allison family at some point, but, um, yeah. So that's what makes it very eerie. It is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I'd be very curious. Um, I wish I had just a bottomless pocket of money for the podcast because if I did, I would contact her, pay for a past life regression session and say, like, let's, let's record this and see if we can, <laughs> like, maybe it. you were this woman in a past life. Like, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, what you guys are, what you guys are doing here. It's like every day multiple people walk in that you're you're conversing with you're talking you know whether it's something a little on the sillier side like that and fun all the way to like you were saying with descendants um very serious conversations and um so i think that's why it's a very this is a very alive place you know there's constant discoveries and conversations going on um well thank you so this has been perfect and it's always great to talk to you thank
1: you You so much thank you very much
0: just cutting in here at the end. Uh, first to thank Emily and every single person who works at the Titanic Museum attraction. Uh, I I can't stress enough. It's just so cool to be able to come there and explore and get to see you all. So thank you. Um, second, I wanted to follow up on some more of the Spedden story, we totally forgot to talk about how the manuscript was discovered, and I wanted to just shed a little bit of light on that. Um, The book is currently out of print, and the website I'm about to read from, I think, is a little bit old, polarthetitanicbear.com. It is pretty easily findable online uh, in a used copy, but this is a website that is the blog um, or was the blog, I don't know if it's maintenance anymore, of a man named Leighton Coleman III, who is part of the... Descendant in the family that was connected to in a family that was connected to the Spedens, and in this blog post he shares firsthand how he discovered the manuscript for Polar the Titanic Bear. So I'm going to read just directly from it. It's a pretty incredible story, and this is all uh, direct quote from Leighton Coleman III. Throughout my rather nomadic childhood, the only constant was the holidays with my grandparents on their Long Island farm, a haven furnished with old things lovingly handed down through generations. Like most young boys, my brother and I took great pleasure in transforming the attic of our grandparents' home into our own realm, a secret hideaway from the adult world. It was playing among the old steamer trunks and discarded toys, that made me first curious about the people who owned them. At the age of 14, and having exhausted the possibilities of any new discoveries in our attic, I decided to explore the storage areas in the barns. On my first foray into the barn, one late summer afternoon, I found dusty toys, trunks, furniture, and paintings crammed into every possible corner. Everything was covered with layers of dirt and debris. The roof was missing shingles, and the darkened window which allowed only a single beam of light in, was in need of repair. Animals had found their way in and have nested among the abandoned relics. A particularly large Louis Vuitton trunk, dusty from countless years of neglect, caught my eye. Inside were 24 matching photo albums bound in fire engine red leather, I'm sorry, embossed with gold numbers, so red with gold numbers, a box of diaries and other ephemera. When I took one of the albums to my grandfather that evening, he told me it must have come out of the lost Spedden trunk. As we looked through the albums, he explained that the Speddens were relations on my grandmother's side, and then recounted the incredible story of how they narrowly escaped from sinking Titanic. The next day, I put the album back in the old trunk, believing I would come back to it later that week. Unfortunately, it was not until several years later, while I was on summer vacation from college helping my grandfather sort out a lifetime of accumulation, that I happened upon the trunk again. And my grandfather had decided to clean out this quote-unquote junk in the attic and storage spaces. In the confusion, the sped and trunk had been placed on the truck with things destined for the dump. Luckily, I managed to intercept it in the nick of time, and I spent the remainder of that summer carefully archiving the contents with the help of a local museum curator. The more time I spent looking at the albums and reading the diaries, the more fascinated I became with the Speddens and their lost Edwardian world. I learned that it was Daisy Spedden, a cousin on the corning side of my family tree, who had carefully documented her family's life through photographs and diaries. In all, she had compiled 27 incredible albums, detailing their trips abroad, the childhood of her only son, named Douglas, their friends and family, a veritable time capsule of the Gilded Age, to me, the Spedans were fascinating, not just because they were survivors of the Titanic, but because they had documented and photographed their beautiful yet-to-be-doomed bell epic world. My grandfather, real- realizing my growing fascination with the Spedans, gave me the trunk and its contents on my 21st birthday. One of the more curious items I found in the trunk was a small booklet that Daisy Spedden penned and made for her seven-year-old son Douglas as a Christmas present in 1913. It was cleverly written through the perspective of her son's Steve Polar Bear. This true story chronicles the travel adventures of an American boy, his toy bear and his family, culminating with their narrow escape from the Titanic disaster. Polar, the Titanic bear, describes a magical Edwardian childhood, sailing on legendary liners, watching the Panama Canal being built, riding the funicular railway in Monte Carlo, catching a brief and thrilling view of a real airplane flying overhead, And the exciting climb to the summit of the Eiffel Tower. When I came upon this treasure, I was immediately captivated by the unusual vignette of a lost world. The Spedans were typical members of Edwardian American society. Daisy and Frederick devoted their lives to their son, travel, and hobbies. In April 1912, after a season abroad visiting Madeira and various resorts on the Riviera, the Spedans booked passage on the Titanic. Having spent so much time researching the Spedens and their period, I have grown very fond of them. And somehow it seemed appropriate to share their story, for they seem to epitomize an age. I had sent a copy of Daisy's manuscript along with copies of some of her photographs to the Titanic Historical Society, which brought it to the attention of Hugh Brewster of Madison Press Books, a Canadian publisher who was then working with the THS to produce the successful Titanic and illustrated history, which of this is me speaking, which, of course, we all know is a quintessential text. Back to the memoir or back to the blog. Mister Brewster agreed with me that Daisy's manuscript had the makings of a wonderful children's book. The illustrations by Laurie McGaugh for Polar the Titanic Bear are true to the original text and photographs. The book was acquired by Little Brown and Co. and Daisy's book, after being lost for over eighty years, is now available to all. Um, and again. This is this was written quite a few years ago. But I wanted you to hear the story. I thought it was best to just let you hear it through Leighton's eyes. And it confirms everything that Emily and I were talking about in the interview that Titanic history is probably still in people's attics and trunks. So I don't I'm not fortunate enough to have any attics or trunks in the family to go through anymore. But if you do, go through them you know not necessarily to try to find a connection to Titanic but just to find a connection to these previous worlds of your family if you have an attic or your parents do or your grandparents do and there's stuff in it go up there or, or a deep dark basement like just go if you have a family home that's been in the family for years and years and there's stuff to to dig through go dig you know that just this is what this teaches us have a wonderful rest of your week uh, in the US. Obviously, we are in holiday season, uh, which is wonderful and beautiful. I hope everyone listening is happy and healthy and safe. And I will see you for more in December. I've got a really, really, really special episode coming in just under a week about a Titanic survivor who went on to lead an extraordinary life and was memorialized in person with the ceremony very recently. And I've got a special episode uh, built around that. So will be revealed very soon. And again, thank you, as always, for listening, for being here. Talk soon, guys. <laughs>